you live and direct from the classic cast where we just roll with it. You know where I get that from? No. Deshaun Sanders. No, 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 not Deshaun. Um, what's his name? He. Let me look it up real quick. How am I forgetting? Hall of Famer. Um, I'm looking it up. He's on that Aflac commercial. Uh, he's a football coach. Used to be a really good football player. Oh. Um. Man, what is his name? Is it Deion Sanders? Deion Sanders. Hall of Fame football player. Hall of Fame baseball player. Cool story about B- Deion Sanders. Whoa, whoa, hold on. Now all of our listeners, listeners are going to know. Basically, I know nothing about professional football. Yeah, that's. I'm. Is it worth trying but to get you into that? Wait a second. He's a. I I knew that he was a professional. I knew that he was like a, a Hall of Fame football player. He was also a Hall of Fame baseball player. I believe so. I'll tell you this. Uh, so I don't know. I don't have my computer and with I, me to look I it even, up. But. I even know less about baseball than I do football. So I'll tell you this, and Kevin Griffin can tell you more because he's like a statistic machine, especially back in those times. Um, He said that Dion played in a football game, a playoff football game, um, caught a touchdown pass, which I think he was cornerback. So I think he actually caught an interception, got a touchdown, Got on a plane the same day, played in a Major League Baseball game, hit a home run. (laughs) Just a machine. And there's dudes, I I played with these kind of guys in high school where they don't even have to try and practice. They're just good at everything. And it's not like they're a little bit above average in everything. They are head and shoulders better than everybody in everything. He was that dude. So he's, he's the football coach at Jackson State University, which is 40 miles near my hometown. Okay. Which they have potholes the size of your car in Jackson State, so I don't know how you can drive his Maserati down Jackson, downtown Jackson. Very dangerous there. But um, he, he has an Aflac commercial where he talks like that. He's I think he says live and direct or something like that. And I got that picked up, picked it up. So I didn't come up with it necessarily, but I adopted it. And I'm glad you finally came clean. <laughs> I, I brought it in to to this, which he doesn't say any of this stuff. So it's it's not like I can be called a, a plagiarist or anything like that. Which if I, if I was a plagiarist, I could run for president and and get it in certain things. But that's not the point. Um. So before we went on air, we were talking about. How you're going to get a camera. So what are the, what are like, you said you're going to get a camera. I said, well, hold on. I said, I think I'm thinking about buying a camera. But you said it with a lot of confidence. <laughs> I said it, I said it with a lot of enthusiasm. I wouldn't confuse enthusiasm with confidence. I see. That's a good distinction. I to remember that. What did, what, what would be some reasons why you'd get it and what kind would you get? I'd get, I'd get a camera that shoots video so that we can video so that we can record this podcast on video 
this has been fun. I'm thinking about doing a couple other podcasts. So, couple other podcasts, uh, at least one. Hey, one of them. One of them is gonna fall, and you're gonna get famous off of <laughs> one of them. <laughs> yeah, if you just do enough. Yeah, somebody might like one of them. <laughs> I better be the cooking channel one that you get. <laughs> <laughs> We need we need more male cookers. We don't really, but um, I'm sure that could fall. I've thought about getting a little handheld camera, like a GoPro, which the camera on my phone is terrible because I have a iPhone 6. Um, Dude, I, I would still have my iPhone 6 if I didn't run over it with my truck. I mean, they're good phones. They last a while. They For me, they do everything that I need. I'm not big on camera. I would actually prefer just getting a GoPro than having a good camera on my phone personally. Um, which Matt got a GoPro. Really cool. How, what all it does and the kind of action and all that kind of Who? stuff. Matt. Which Matt? Oh, Matt yeah. Morgan. Yeah. He got it for our trip to Fayetteville yeah. that, that day. A lot of good footage and stuff. But no, I think it would be cool if we started videoing what we do here. Um, it's just another layer. You know, it, it brings some life to it. By by this point, if people are still listening to us, which the data shows people still are listening to us, um, by this point they realize they're not coming to this podcast to get a full overview of Bob Inc. Probably a lot that or, they... Or any book we're going to read. Or any book. They're just not. Um, there are podcasts out there that are going to give you that. Personally, honestly, that's not my kind of podcast. That's not my preference, but you know that is other people's preference very clearly. But you know, I mean, listener, you know by this point when you listen to the classic cast, you're going to hear us talk about the classics. You're going to hear us talk about Herman Bovink as we have past few weeks. Next week, we're going to talk about Henry Skugel. The few weeks after that, we're going to talk about one of the greatest, if not the greatest, theology book of all time, which is The Pilgrim's Progress. But even when we talk about it, we're kind of going to derail, get off subject a lot, talk about some, you know, just whatever we want to. But they know this. That's why they come to the Classic Cast at this point. Um, we we scheduled Quattro, who is a, a famous dude who is not dead, who drops theological bombs that we can quote with a few books that he has. Um, talked about Herman Bovink and Faith, but last week we actually talked a whole lot more about just faith as it relates to what we just went through last weekend than uh, Herman Bovink and faith. And it's been fun. All that to say that I think having us on camera, though we are nothing to look at, just be a little extra to the podcast. Yeah, that is the downside. It's like, I'll actually have to think about, what I, <clears throat> I'll actually have to think about what I look like. Yeah. Uh, now I'm rethinking it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to think about, okay, what do I, I, I'll have to think about what I put on to be here at 5 a.m. to record the podcast. The good thing about it for us, though, is that there's not, I mean, there's not much upside, you know. It's not like we're going to take a shower and look very much different than what we got. <laughs> <laughs> what, we, what you see is what you get, brother. You know, there's nothing we can hide, unfortunately. Um, one thing that I've been thinking of 
with the classic cast and you know i've talked a lot about the next books we're gonna look at and all that and, and we've like i said we've figured out what we're gonna do we were gonna do john owen on the holy spirit but then you came in with a great idea talking about doing pilgrim's progress i've been trying to read pilgrim's progress to to salem and erica so it's kind of like a two bird with one stone it's the the real one yeah the the one with the red cover hard cover okay and so this has given me an excuse to actually sit down and read it cover to cover yeah. stick with it yeah but question i have personal question for you is what is a theology book that you have read that gave you a noticeable difference in the understanding of God or maybe not even difference, just really helped you out in your walk with the Lord? I mean, everyone everyone always says this, but uh, we'll talk about it enough, but Pilgrim's Progress truly is you know, one of those books, it was, it was an impactful book. Um, um, yeah, I mean, there's two, there's two different ways to answer this. It's kind of like there's books that I, there's books that I read that kind of lights came on that weren't there before or like what people might call paradigm shifting know paradigm shifting books um um it's always hard for me to answer this question so there's those kind of books that are like okay i'm getting new theological insight that is making me understand things in a way that i haven't seen them before there's those kind of books and then there's books that are like a sermon and they uh, they cut to the heart, like oh, okay, this the, uh, this benefited me in a different way. It's not, it it wasn't, um, uh, it wasn't specifically theological insight. Does that make sense? It was, uh, uh, maybe maybe you might call it devotional or something like that. Um, some of these books that we want to read are that way like the the Henry school book uh that one is more like a second it it wasn't anything new um the none of the con it's not like I really learned anything from the book um but the way that he writes about uh um true religion or true salvation um uh was just very very good for me it just it kind of it just um it, it just ministered to me um as far as just insightful uh kind of like lights coming on theological you know theological books um two things did that for me um coming to the doctrines of grace which is primarily um through the scriptures um, but any books or sermons around that, it was just lights were light, like, kind of light bulb moments were happening, you know, were happening left and right. Um, I wouldn't say that there's one particular, uh, one particular thing that, uh, that finally, you know, uh, 
it's hard to put the one hard to put my finger on one particular book or something like that. But if anything, it was probably honestly the canons of Dort, like actually reading, actually reading through the canons of Dort, um, uh, the response to the, um, uh, yeah, the uh, response there, which, which is where we get our, uh, you know, the acronym TULIP. Uh, that was that. I keep going back to those on the topic of. Um, the doctrines of grace, and then the second thing was uh, covenant theology. Understanding covenant theology was another kind of big time paradigm shifter for me to help me understand the scriptures or understand them more clearer. And there's a couple book. There's a couple books there. Obviously, I'm greatly influenced by. Uh, Pastor Jeff Johnson. Uh, so his books on on covenant theology were pretty fruitful, pretty impactful. Um, um, the distinctiveness of Baptist covenant theology by Pascal Deneau. Books like that. The mm. so, so those were those are the two main uh, kind of biblical aha moments. It just, the uh, it's like the scriptures came open to me once I saw it in there. When, you know, once I, once I discovered Doug and discovered those nuggets, it's the the whole Bible started opening up. I started, you know, uh, you know, I've read it essentially my entire life, but it finally started really making sense. And so, it's not necessarily a book that came out of left field. It was those two. Uh, what I believe are biblical truths um, is that's that's biblical. Those two, those two big theological concepts, or covenant theology, being more of a uh, biblical concept. How do we understand the old and the new covenant? Uh, kind of getting down into those have been just talking about theological subjects or um, uh, things like that. Those two have been the biggest. It's like putting LED light bulbs in your house or something. Mm. It's like, oh, okay, now, you know, yeah, now now I can see everything. Now, now this all makes sense. It's, books like that are so good because um, they're the most practical in the fact that they open the Bible up to you. It's kind of like a tool that really, I mean, it's not something that you're gonna read alongside of the Bible every single time that you read a Bible. But it's like, hey, here's the best way to understand the Bible. And they're good because they don't insert any foreign object to the Bible. It really just shows what the Bible is and makes the Bible come alive. Yeah, in a way, they're lenses to reading the Bible. Um, And we all do that. We all have lenses. No one actually comes to the Bible... um, uh, neutrally, that that's not actually a, uh, in my view, that's not even a possible thing. Uh, you can't, you can't separate yourself, <laughs> you can't separate your, yourself completely while you're reading. But the the point is, okay, I'm I'm conscious that I'm reading the Bible with certain lenses, but it's important that that the 
that I get those lenses from the Bible that I'm not imposing that I'm not imposing a interpretive framework on the scriptures that uh, the uh, the the authors and primarily the author as we were talking about couple episodes ago and we're returning back to today um that of the inspiration of god himself it's it's got to be biblical lenses so we need to read the bible with biblical lenses if um you know our principles or our our uh habits of biblical interpretation have to accord with how the bible is saying to interpret itself so the Bible is going to tell us, hey, interpret interpret me this way. Um, and therefore, we've got to, okay, let me put on, let me, uh, th- those are the lenses that I'm putting on as I'm reading the Bible. I'm going to read the Bible on its own terms. So those two things, if the doctrines of grace aren't actually biblical, then, then you shouldn't read the Bible through that that theological lens, theological perspective. Uh, but it, if if it is scriptural, if it is biblical, then you can't read it without it. Uh, and same thing with understanding covenant theology. Other otherwise, other than it's a lot more direct with covenant theology because we're trying to make sense of um, kind of big narrative understanding of the Bible and covenant theology. Yeah, how does the Old Testament relate to the New? Or the old covenant relate to the new covenant. Yeah, and those books are, I would say, necessary for for Christians to read because in this in this area that we live in, this day and age, especially like with, in the case of covenant theology, uh, we live in an area like a very dispensationalist place, and so even if you don't know what dispensationalism is, you've probably been taught that, and so you've never really thought to think anything other when it comes to OT, New T, NT stuff. But covenant theology just makes you say, whoa, okay, this makes sense. And so it's, it's just good. Um, I'll tell you a book like that, kind of in that same genre, which back to my first question, I would say Knowing God was one of the books that really mm-hmm. changed me. Yeah, um, we should read that. that. That would be a good one. We should definitely read that. thought about bringing case. that up. Yeah. Man, so good. Um, before I was a Calvinist, we've been outed by Quattro last week, so we can come out and say... We're Calvinists, da da. Um, not that we were trying to hide it, anyways. <laughs> but uh, we probably weren't doing a very good job. <laughs> but man, before I came to the doctrines of grace, and my walk with the Lord was very shallow. It wasn't nominal, but it was shallow. Didn't know very much about the Bible. Randy Barlow tells tells me to to read Knowing God, so we read it together. The Wilkinsons. Men's sales associates over there uh, read it together a few years ago, and I open up to the introduction. and P- Packer goes through the four things about people who know God. One of them is those who know God are bold about God. Wow! And he and he explains that. Then he gets into the majesty of God and things like that. And it really, um, I, I could see clear growth. It, it, it for sure in my love for the Lord from that Bible yeah. or from that book and the book <laughs> it's not a Bible but it it was a good book because it drew me back to the Bible yeah. 
Um, but but a book that we're talking about now, like books that are good instruments, good tools to help you understand the scriptures. I would refer everybody to G.K. Bill on Revelation. Oh, oh man, his shorter uh, commentary. And people think, oh, it's just the last book of the Bible. You know, it's just one out of sixty-six books. Why would reading a commentary just on that one book be so beneficial? Because it opens the whole Bible up to you. Yeah. He says stuff like 276 out of 404 verses of it are from the Old Testament. Therefore, we must know the Old Testament. Right, right, right. And then, like, bringing in covenant theology, bringing in the true spiritual Israel, he makes revelation come alive. Um. Man, such a good book, which, of course, everything that he writes, not everything, but a, a lot of stuff that he writes has an eschatological bent. Yeah. But there's a reason. The reason is because he believes, he says it in his uh, New Testament schismatic theology, or his New Testament biblical theology, that Christology is eschatology. Yeah. yeah. Because the stuff that Christ accomplished establishes eschatology. Right, right. Man. Yeah, Beale... Um yeah, finding Beale uh, was a seminary that was a game changer. Yes, uh, G.K. Beale's <clears throat> uh, probably one of, if not my favorite, uh, living theological writer. I mean, his stuff is just just incredibly beneficial. One of my favorite books by him is one that my I know that the other students in my class when I was in seminary, they actually didn't like the book. And they got enough poor, uh, the professor got enough poor um, feedback on it that they eventually took the book off. Which one? It's Erosion of, The Erosion of Inerrancy by Beale. And it's basically his correspondence with Peter Inns, who was on faculty at Westminster. And now he's... A uh, liberal theologian, he kind of went the way of um, like a Bart Ehrman type guy, um, and so it's his it's his dialogue with uh, Peter Inns via it's like a collection of articles that they were writing uh, back and forth to each other, and that was my introduction to Beale. So pretty technical. Um, uh, it's a you know it's a back and forth. You know, you're kind of catching up on this conversation that's been going on for several years. Um, so I understand why some students didn't like the book, but I was eating it up like mm. it was like it was candy. Yeah, like it. Was, I don't eat candy that often, but like it was ice cream. You know. Yeah, I get the yeah, I get yeah, the yeah. illusion. Yeah. Uh, I thought it was so good, and I was just like, man, I don't know who this guy is, but I got to read more stuff by him. And yeah, that just sent that just set me off. And uh, anytime I preach, I'm I'm looking at uh, his commentary, uh, the New Testament use of the Old Testament. Uh, whether I'm in the Old Testament or the New, I'm looking. Okay, where, uh, where you know, where's, you know, is, is this section? If I'm preaching from the Old Testament, is this used in the New Testament anywhere? Then I'll I'll. A reference Beale's commentary, and then you know it's it's rare that I'm preaching from the New Testament and there's not not some Old Testament connection within the chapter, just because there's so many Old Testament 
uh, usage in the New Testament. And so I'm always using his commentary. And I would even recommend it for, okay, you're not a preacher. Um, right. You're, you're not a preacher, but you're a Christian, and you want to know more about your Bible. That's a big, fat commentary, but I would definitely recommend it. Like, I've, I've recommended it. It's not, it's not a commentary just for pastors or just for the seminary student. Uh, that's a commentary that's, that's beneficial for anyone who pulls it off the shelf. There's not a learning curve. It's literally just okay. How does how is this New Testament uh, passage or verse or whatever? What is it? What is it calling back to in the Old Testament? Uh, many of our Bibles have cross references, um, but a lot of times, uh, a lot of times our cross references aren't thorough enough in the sense that um, I mean they're doing the job that they're intended to do, but they're not trying to point out every quote, paraphrase, allusion, thought from the Old Testament uh, where Beale's thorough. Like yes. he, he's hunting them down. Yeah. Um, and so uh, you're not going to get all the Old Testament references just from your cross-reference in your Bible or even in your regular um, uh, study Bible. But this, uh, but this commentary, it's... It's not that expensive from what I from what I remember. I think it's like sixty bucks. It's worth it. If it's yeah, six, for sure. if it's sixty bucks, that's worth it. For I sure. Would, I would pay sixty bucks right now for it. Yeah. I mean and for sixty bucks too for what you're getting, even just with the size, like we're looking at it on the the bookshelf, it's taller than all the other books and it's thicker than all the other books. Huge book. Yeah, so you, a, you get a lot. Yeah, it's a big book. Yeah. And you, yeah, so, um, yeah, I mean, that, that would be a beneficial commentary for, for you to have on your bookshelf. It'll help you understand the, the Bible as a whole. So, so many times we narrow in on, no, we're not talking about this, but, um, we're trying to get back on inspiration. It's a classic cast, man. We just roll That's with true. it. That's true. That's true. Uh, so many times in our Bible reading, we narrow in on like, okay, here's my, maybe it's my verse of the day, or maybe it's my chapter of the day, something like that, which chapter of the day is better. But oftentimes in our Bible reading, it's like we're narrowed in on just maybe five verses, maybe something like that. Very short, very, um, uh, very pointed, very particular, um, and that's how I read my Bible for years and ages. Um, and then and then I got into the practice of uh, reading as much as I could at one time. And I'm not just talking about extended lengths of time, but it was like, okay, instead of a handful of verses, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to at least get a chapter in. Um, and there's some books of the Bible, especially the short ones, I try to sit, I try to read in one sitting. Um, there's some books that are just not, um, I guess it's technically possible to read in one sitting, uh, but it's not, not nearly practical to read in one sitting. Your longer books, maybe Isaiah, Psalms, uh, books like that, uh, even Genesis. Um, although Genesis, is, Genesis actually isn't that long, but 
the point is, um, if you could read a whole book in one sitting, read a whole book from the Bible in one sitting, because this, now it's going to give you the, the big picture, which I never saw before, because I was just doing my daily reading plans, which was giving me, you know, a set of verses. Uh, that's another reason why um, so I tried this reading plan this year. Um, I've tried different reading plans like this on several times, and they never work out. Where I'm reading uh, maybe a chapter from four different places in the Bible every day, I'm just not good at hopping around. Even even if I'm reading a chapter from maybe four different books every day, I would much rather just okay, let's let me knock out a whole book in one sitting if I can, or I'm going to read, you know three or four chapters in one book every day rather than, you know, rather than, uh, you know, one from one from here, there, and the other, maybe two from the Old Testament, two from the New Testament, something like that. And I, I like the idea of those for different reasons, but I never stick with it. And it's just because the, the type of reading, reading the Bible in the way that I'm talking about, uh, whole books at a time, or working your way through a book and then moving to the next book and then eventually reading, uh, actually reading the whole Bible, and you start to, you know, you under you start to actually understand it and see uh, the big storyline. Like any, like re- on, honestly, like reading any other book. Uh, the Bible's not like reading any other book. There's something uh, extraordinary, uh, extraordinary, and supernatural about the content. This is why we've been talking about inspiration. Uh, but at the other, at uh, on the other side of that coin, though, there is a real reality that it is, it is a book. Uh, and so we read it. And, um, and so reading whole books, reading larger sections of scripture gives you better insight into the storyline, into, okay, where is... If I'm reading from Genesis Revelation, let me figure out where this story is going. Um, and that that was a game changer for me in, in my Christian life um, because, it again, it just helped me understand God's revelation more. It helped me understand the Scripture more. Where up until that point, so many of our, um, even the way the reference Bible is laid out, it wants you to, you know, uh, look at, you know, is Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. Um, where I think it's more helpful to think in paragraphs and chapters and books. Right. Even though, um, even though, that, well, look, I'm quite aware that uh, Genesis was not written in chapters. Uh, this is something that we... What? Yeah. Who said that? <laughs> this is something that we uh, have... Uh, added later to help us in our in, in the organization through the translation and printing process of the Bible. Um, but I think I think you get my point. Hopefully, other people do too. Um, but I'm less concerned about one verse. Now that one verse is uh, infinitely important, but that one verse only makes sense if you understand the chapter the book, and the rest of the Bible. It's you really need the rest of the Bible to make sense of that one verse. And to do that, we need to read kind of larger chunks of Scripture to get 
more of the story, more of the context, and start piecing that together. Instead of trying to piece together, you know, thousands of verses, now we're trying to understand, okay, how do these books work together? Mm. Instead of how do these individual thousands and thousands of verses work together? So it starts to create, you know, starts to create, or you start to see the narrative, the big picture. What is God doing over all these uh, thousands of years and these different authors, these different prophets, these different writers of the Old Testament and then into the New Testament? What is God doing? What's the, what's the revelation? What's the story that he's putting together? Um, that sort of Bible reading starts to help you see that. And uh, how did I end up there? Yeah, Beal is one avenue uh, that that uh, that helped me to to see the see and start reading the start reading the Bible that way. Mm. Co- Covenant theology was another was another avenue. Yeah. So one thing about all the stuff that you just said with like the different sorts of Bible reading plans and stuff, um, which I did the Robert Mary McShane plan, I think in 2020 or last year. No, I think it was 2021. Yeah. So jumping around, you're do- reading four different chapters from four different books. Um, that leads us into what we're talking about, because when you do that, you can see the different writing styles. So, if the the Bible is inspired by the Holy Spirit as it is that we talked about two weeks ago, if it's inerrant, comes from one author, why is it that there are seemingly four different styles of of writing, four different styles of literature, or sometimes even four different genres of literature that I'm reading? Um, so why is it that there's one author, the Holy Spirit, but on one day when I read Genesis and then I'm also reading Ezra and then I'm also reading Matthew and then I'm also reading Luke or the Apostle Paul. Why is it that um, a lot of this stuff seems different, not in content, really not even in, in themes or things like that, which you see the consistency in that sort of reading in those things, but specifically, mainly in how they wrote. Or why is it the case where when you're learning Greek and you want to start reading through the Greek Bible on your own, I've been able to do that here recently. I, I've, I've finally got to a point where I can read the Greek Bible with a pretty good understanding pretty quickly and stuff, but there's still books that I won't touch with a six-foot pole, like um, Luke or Acts. Why is it that I can pick up John, any of John, and, and read it like it's English, but then when I get to Hebrews, uh, yeah, Hebrews, or when I get to the book of Luke, I feel like I can't even read Greek at all. It has to do with organic inspiration. Is that like organic foods? No, <laughs> no, no GMOs? No sugar at all. No, no. No GMOs. Now, let's be clear. It doesn't mean biodegradable because just because it's organically inspired doesn't mean it's going to biodegrade over time, you know, which don't get me started on organic foods. My wife is starting to get really healthy with food, and so organic this, organic that. But 
Sometimes they'll tell you organic and it's actually not organic, but that's just a side note. Not to turn this into nutrition class. So, organic. When you think of the word organic, well, I'll just ask you this. When you think of the word organic, what comes to mind? How, how does that even make sense? Organic inspiration. Well, you already know what comes to mind. I said, no GMO. <laughs> <laughs> okay. No GMOs. You'll, you'll be there one day. My wife's been on that, that train for a while. Yeah, I think Erica is going down that path too, which I'm thankful for. It. I like healthy food. But when I was reading this chapter, it it was it was insightful because I I haven't read a lot of books like on the Bible and stuff. Um, I have read Canonicity and I, I've read Kruger's book on Canonicity. I read a few of the books and stuff like that, and I've I've heard of inspiration and I've believed in the inspiration of the scriptures ever since being in the faith for sure. Always went to a church that affirmed that. But the way that Bob Inc. breaks down organic inspiration, so he starts to talk about like a layer deeper than just inspiration. Um, he he starts to bring in the reality in this chapter that they were written by human authors, which is why we can say that the author of this book was Matthew. The author of this book was Jeremiah, things like that. Um. And, of course, when he's writing this chapter, we're not, like we never do, we're not going to give a summary of, of, you know, page by page what's going on here. But when he is writing this this thing on organic inspiration, it's in the context of defending the inerrancy of the scriptures against various different objections. Not to get into all those objections, but I will read a quote that he says on pages 442 and 443. To, to cover what he means by organic inspiration. And it, it's, it's almost an aha moment or like, okay, that, yeah, that, that really does make sense. Um, and then we can circle back around and talk about um, the hostility against the scriptures and why the scriptures are, or why people are hostile against the scriptures. He says this on organic inspiration. Nonetheless, the organic view of inspiration does furnish us with many means to meet the objections advanced against it. It implies the idea that the Holy Spirit in the inscripturation of the Word of God did not spurn anything human to serve as an organ of the divine. The revelation of God is not abstractly supernatural, but has entered into the human fabric, into persons and states of beings into forms and usages, into history and life. It does not fly high above us, but descends into our situation. It has become flesh and blood, like us in all things except sin. Divine revelation is now an irradicable constituent of this cosmos in which we live, and affecting renewal, restoration, continues its operation. The human has become an instrument of the divine. The natural has become a revelation of the supernatural. The visible has become a sign and seal of the invisible. In the process of inspiration, use has been made of all the gifts and forces resident in human nature. He says a paragraph later, The personality of the authors is not erased, but maintained and sanctified. 
Inspiration, therefore, in no way demands that literally or aesthetically we equate the style of Amos with that of Isaiah, or that we deny all barbarisms and solecisms in the language of the New Testament. So to give a short summary of what Bob Inc. is talking about here, when the Holy Spirit wrote the Bible, he did not erase all of the, the personalities, um, even the, the writing style, maybe the handwriting, um, or the, the use of different literary um, instruments when he brought about the scriptures the inspiration of the bible does not mean that you know it it was inserted into a machine and very um mechanically ejected into the the codices the the book the collection of books that we get but when the apostle paul sat down to write the book of romans his tendencies were brought into place, everything without sin, as Bobbing says. His um, understanding of literature, his understanding of you know, how to put sentences together, his particular sentence structure, which is mm-hmm. different from that of John, mm-hmm. um, things like that were also used, which really makes it makes the, the idea of inspiration kind of blow our mind, the fact that the Holy Spirit used that right. to bring out a an, an inerrant document that's used for the sanctification of the children of God. Um, so that's why, like, when he's writing um, the book of Titus, Paul says, hey, you know what, I remember reading a philosopher from Crete. Mm-hmm. And he says, e- even a Cretan philosopher says that Cretes are drunk, drunkards and sluggards and, you know, good for nothing type of thing. Um, we would we would assume, oh, no, the Holy Spirit is just going to spit out this thing. But he uses that background knowledge of Paul to bring about the inerrant Bible. What's your thoughts on that, D2? Yeah, one of my favorite verses on uh, the topic of inspiration. Uh, it's Second Peter chapter 1, verses 19 through uh, 21. It says, And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Or other translations say something like, instead of saying that, um, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved or uh, carried about or um, uh, the idea is like that they were uh, carried about or carried by the Holy Spirit um, as they were writing, prophesying. And here Peter's really talking about, uh, is he's specifically talking about Old Testament, uh, the Old Testament here, Old Testament revelation. Um, uh, but I like what, uh, I like the distinction that he's making here because he's talking about um, he's talking about inspiration like we're talking about it. He's saying, hey, uh, these 
uh, uh, the scriptures that Peter's using and Peter's teaching that the Lord is using uh, and that the Lord is inspiring him to even write now is the same thing as as the uh, as how Peter reads the Old Testament. Uh, he's saying, look, these men, none of these writings are merely their own interpretation. Uh, it, it is their writings, uh, but it's, but he says, no prophecy ever came by the will of man, uh, but by holy men carried by or moved by, but holy men spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. And so he under he understands this dynamic of what's what Bobby calls uh, organic inspiration. That hey, these holy men were uh, prophesying the words of God. They were revealing the words of God. But it's not it, that is what it is. It's not their own interpretations. Uh, it's not just promoted by. It's not just these men who had some sort of spiritual insight. No, it's that these men were. Uh, moved by or carried by the Holy Spirit. So it's still the men, it's still the writings, it's still their voice, it's still their writing decisions and uh, inflection and tone and all that that, that you're talking about. Uh, but it's the Holy Spirit working behind the men. Uh, well, in, yeah, in and behind the men, carrying these men about. Um, uh, so, uh, th- this is you know this is where this is one of the key verses we we get this idea of inspiration from, and uh, I I think it's clearly seen there. And again, the the point would be or the emphasis here is is Peter saying yes, I understand uh, the Old Testament to be written by men, but it wasn't only by men. This isn't just their words or their own interpretation, um, because we we have a same. It's kind of like we have the same uh, emphasis even today. You know, nothing changes because so many people want to discredit uh, the Holy Spirit behind the biblical writers. They say, "Well, this was just written by men thousands of years ago," just like. Um, no, you probably had that told you thirty thousand times this past Friday. Well, yeah, but it's it's uh, yeah, hundred uh, percent. Yeah, when we were out showing up with your yeah, Grace we, Bible hat on and your Bible in your hand, <laughs> that's an enemy. Yeah, yeah, there was get there, him. Yeah, there was no doubt. <laughs> there was no doubt about who I was or what I was there to do. I was in uniform. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> the uh, but that's the that's the common sentiment though, uh, because of even among Christians, yeah, because sometimes among Christians, yeah, uh, I mean, you read something like Ligonier's State of Theology, and you're like, um, which is this survey? I'm not. Are you? Do you yeah. know what it is? Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and those are so sad. Yeah, it's a survey of. Uh, mainly Christians and what they believe and what they believe and just uh, theology, Christianity's understanding of the Bible, people who are professing to know, uh, to, you know, to be Christians. Um, yeah, it's pretty, it's, it's in kind of poor, 
kind of poor shape. And so, um, yeah, I mean, this is just the prevailing sentiment of the day. Uh, Modernism and now uh, postmodernism, the doctrine of inspiration uh, grinds against those two, you know, those two spirits of the age. Um, Modernism was uh, basically on a crusade against something like the doctrine of inspiration. Uh, basically uh, trying to make everything naturalistic. Everything's got to be scientifically proven and all this sort of stuff. And it basically uh, tried to take out the supernatural from the scriptures. So the doctrine of inspiration can't exist because, you know, the Bible is written by, you know, it can't be true. The Bible is written by men. Um, so, So modernism wants to throw out the supernatural and then uh and then postmodernism wants to make everything relative and so there can't be a divine author there can't be the holy spirit carrying these men about uh with one uh with one objective in mind throughout all of scripture uh we, we, you know weaving together one uh narrative one storyline uh you know that that can't, you know, that just grinds against everything in modernism, in the spirit of modernism and postmodernism, and that's the spirit of our age today, especially more so postmodernism now, except for, uh, more, yeah, more so postmodernism than modernism, and uh, really what that boils down to is like, okay, these are just guys, um, these are just some guys' opinions from thousands of years ago. And if inspiration is true, which it is, and the Bible itself is saying, is advocating for inspiration, uh, then it's not just men's interpretations, as Peter would say. Uh, it's something more than that. It's, it's, it's the very words of God brought to us through, I think, a perfect avenue when I think about special revelation and inspiration, uh, this is why uh, when people say, well, you know, I need uh, maybe when I'm talking to an atheist or even sometimes in, in, in my own mind and in my own heart, uh, you know, sometimes I wish like, man, I wish God would just, would just, you know, uh, you know, I'm trying to question what to do about a certain situation or this or that. I'm needing an answer. I'm needing a struggle. It's just like, man, I wish God would just come right out and tell me. Um, or when I'm talk, evangelizing, you know, somebody who's uh, an atheist, who's denying that there's a God, like, look, if there is a God, why wouldn't he just write it in the sky? And I'm just like, well, one, he basically did. And two, we have something better than that. So we know in general revelation that we talked about some, I don't remember what episode, natural revelation or general revelation that the heavens declare the glory of God. So he, he, he literally has written it in the sky. Now it's not in English letters, but creation is crying out. Uh, creation is saying everything about creation is saying that there's a God special revelation. I think God communicated to us even more effectively, um, especially, well, here's another sentiment. A lot of Christians wish, it's just like, man, I just wish that 
um, like Jesus was still living in among us and we can hear directly from him. And I understand the sentiment and I can't wait to be in glory with my Savior, seeing him walking, talking face to face in fellowship with him for all of eternity. That's going to be a glorious thing. Um, but the Lord has revealed to us in, in, a, in incredibly personal ways, in direct ways. It's um, God the Son took on flesh, became, became one of us. Uh, there's no more direct or personal revelation than that, and that he took on flesh, um, that um, uh, he took, yeah, he took on flesh to sympathize with us in every way. Um, so, so God became, uh, God became man. You don't get any more direct than, than that from God. And then after that, so not only did he, not, not only did he uh, take on flesh. Not only did he take on um, uh, a human nature, um, but in the written in in the written form in the written revelation, it's communicated. It's communicated to us. It's inspired. Uh, it's inspired, like we've been talking about. But it's through the words and in tone and figures of speech and writing and form. Of uh, uh, in form of of man of humanity, and so what I'm trying to communicate is is it's in a way that we can clearly relate with and understand. It's not that God came to us with a brand new written language that no one speaks, and um, now humanity needs to spend time figuring this out. Okay, let's decrypt God. No, God came to us and every has revealed to us in every form in ways that we can understand, relate with, um, uh, relate with, and um, I mean, it's the clearest communication and the most direct and personal communication. It's like someone wants God to write in the sky. I'm like, He's given you, He's given us something better. He took on flesh and can sympathize with us in every way. He's given us a book. Um, he's given us a book with um, with different authors, different writers that now that are that are human, that are man, and so uh, it's kind of like God has bridged the communication gap, and He's spoken to us in quote. And this is in air quotes in our language, if if you will. And um, that's better than having something written in the sky. Right. That's that's infinitely better than having something written in the sky because now we have um, uh, now we have all these now we have all these writings that are communicating the truth of God, um, communicating God's words, God's revelation in so many different ways and so many different forms, and God's weaving it all together to put together the whole picture of who He is what the gospel is, what he's accomplished and what he will accomplish. Right. And that's, uh, that's, that's more beautiful. Um, that's a far more sufficient revelation and insight into God. Um, then, uh, you know, if he were to just, you know, send messages by shaping the clouds into words, 
Uh, and we would call that a hu- hallucination too, <laughs> by the way. Really, <laughs> and this is—I mean—it's so much better for so many reasons. We can understand God way better in the forms that He's communicated to us um, than than what the sentiment is from from uh, from two different modes or two different perspectives. What the Christian wants, I wish He would just tell me, or what the atheist wants. It's like, well, why doesn't He just, you know, write in the sky, "I am God." Just like well, one he did, but he's given us in both in in both regards he's he's given us so something so much better, so much more, uh, so much more uh, live and direct, as you say, <laughs> literally live and direct. Yeah, yeah, so much more. And um, man, a lot of good stuff that you just said right there that brings a few different points to my mind. Number one, even if they did see the message in the sky, that that it, that would be by definition a miracle which contradicts their worldview and anything that contradicts their worldview that they don't like that would be authoritative they just say there's no way that's real that's 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 hallucination or something like that number two is you're right um as paul says in ephesians 3 he's done far more abundantly than even what the atheist asks for or thinks the atheist asks for message in the sky they already have been given a message in the sky as you've pointed out the heavens declare the glory of god they are declaring not only that god exists but that god is glorious but also too the fact that god chose to use men i think either 39 to 40 men men who were going through sufferings job yep john at patmos men who had their own writing styles uh men who had their own walks of life and and which with as the same major spiritual walk of life being a child of god granted that but men who were different living in different times having different understanding of literacy different handwriting all without error see these men weren't just guided along in the fact that you know god kind of took his hands and like um like he's keeping them in the right path he directly actively brought them about brought them along as they're writing the scriptures yeah which is why we can say this is the word of god that's why the paul the apostle paul was talking to the thessalonians you received it not as the word of man but as the word of god oh that's good yeah um yeah nonetheless and this is a big thing if somebody's really if one of our listeners is really want to dig deep into bavink um, you should also dig deep into Kuiper because Kuiper and Bavink are, are saying the, the same tune here. And that is God doesn't do away with the creation in bringing about uh, supernatural things. He doesn't do away with the natural when he is doing works of the supernatural. Right. Right. He always uses creation. He always uses yeah. natural things such as natural men. Right. Why well, didn't write the Bible with angels? He always uses nature to bring about yeah. the supernature, and right. that is even more supernatural. The fact that he did not skip over the natural, but he used the natural. Now, another thing that you talked about that reminds me of this, and that's that every Orthodox author writing about the inspiration of the Scriptures, writing about the canon, the, about the attributes of Scripture themselves, will talk about the divine attributes of the Bible. Right. Anybody who's actually read the bible sees the divine attributes of the bible you don't just have to like force it down yeah if you're really reading the bible for the beauty that it is and you're not just 
you know, begrudgingly reading it to say that you read it kind of thing. But if you actually just sit back and notice the beauty of the Scripture, you can say on one hand, man, men wrote this. God used men to write this. But the fact that God used men to write this so clearly shows the divine work of this. Right. I mean, you think of Peter just a few years earlier. He didn't even understand the connection between the Old Testament and Christ. And you think of, which is why we have the road to Emmaus, that he has to open the scriptures up to them. When he does, their hearts are on fire. Mm -hmm. You think of these men. These men were scattered from our Lord on the night of his death. They, They argued a lot. Then all of a sudden, as Christ promised, after his ascension, the Spirit is poured out in their hearts, and they are in this divine unity, writing the same story, no contradiction, no error, and understanding everything in the Old Testament, bringing about, bringing about the theology of the New Testament from yeah. the Old Testament, right. which is all, I mean, we, we sit here and we talk about it. So many proofs, so many reminders of the divine origin, the divine work of the scriptures, even when we read Peter, um, Mark, which, by the way, Mark was influenced by Peter, you know, things like that. Um, and so he does not do away with creation to bring about the super creation, the, the um, thing that tells us what creation is. Also, while you're talking, I thought of this verse says in Hebrews 3 7 even as the Holy Spirit says today if you should hear his voice do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion Um, if you remember correctly technically the Holy Spirit did not say that that was um, if I remember that was David I believe today if you hear his voice do not harden your heart as in the rebellion that comes from a psalm I don't have my Bible on me so I can't look up the cross reference to that um, so on one hand, it is not the, like directly from the person of the spirit that says that, but it is so divine, has such divine implications and reasons that the author of Hebrews could honestly say the Holy Spirit says. Yeah. And so that's, this is kind of in a defense to, against the far left, which says that these are just men. Right. Um, Actually, these men were guided along by the Holy Spirit, but not like um, you know, keep it keep keep the bumpers up and on in the bowling kind of thing. Which, by the way, if we go to bowling together and you bring the bumpers up, I'm leaving. <laughs> no, I, no, I don't do bumpers. Bro. I was about to say that's. I don't do bumpers. Good. He doesn't just bring up the bumpers and make sure that the ball gets down the alley. He himself is speaking through these men. There is no error in that. Yeah. Yeah. But the same God who is speaking through these men is the same God who created these men. Yeah. And providentially brought these men to the state of their lives that he did. Now, I'm just thinking about this. This may make no sense. This may be a lot of rambling. I'm going to try to keep it short and on uh, on point. If God were to speak, which he did, since God were to speak, it would say a lot about what God believed about providence and creation if God were to override the natural aspects of these men. 
if God were to say, here you go, here's this letter from the sky. I wrote it while I was in the throne room of heaven. Don't worry about all this other stuff. Here it is. That would say a lot about what he thinks about creation. It would say that he himself does not trust the creation that he brought about. It would say a lot about what he believes about providence. That, yes, he he brought these men to a certain state where they're really prepared and stuff like that, but they're still not good enough for this work. But the fact that God used men, his work of creation, in bringing about the Scripture shows a lot about what he believes about his own creation. That barring sin, apart from sin, he uses men that he created from the dust goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 1 and 2, uses those things that he once delighted in and says it is good to bring about his holy, inerrant, perfect word. He never did say this, but he could have said this, it is good. Yeah. And so the God delights in his creation. He loves his creation. Yeah. So much so that he used his creation and he used the product of his providence and creation to bring about organic inspiration so the far right of this topic would be you know um because it is so in air and this is a good mistake by the way i'm not you know this is in no way apples to apples with the far left which denies all of these things we talk about but like getting to the point where we forget that um men were used as instruments to 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 discuss this um a lot of times people forget that Jesus never wrote any book of the Bible. And so but like the red letter Christians in a sense implicitly believe that, like because it's the red letters that Jesus, you know, must have wrote that or we're not going to think about that too much. But even the red letters were written by men. And even the red letters were written in um um with with different not different purposes, but with with different aspects to it. I'll just say that. I'll, I'll speak broadly here, which is why you can look at the Lord's Prayer, and it's different in Luke than it is Matthew. Not because they contradict each other, but because Luke includes different details of the prayer, whereas Matthew would include a, 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 more, a more, that's hard to say, I was going to say a more full, a more full-orbed Lord's Prayer. Um. And, and going a little little further than this, something to talk about. He he mentions this in this section. The scriptures are all holy. There's nothing that is, and they're all of infinite value. So you can't quantify like if if one has more value than the other because they're all infinitely right. valuable. Right. But you shouldn't feel bad about walking through the book of John with somebody instead of walking through the book of Leviticus. Um, I can I can make an accurate guess that when you disciple somebody, which you are discipling, I'm not going to mention their name, but you're discipling somebody right now um, through a program, I, I'm going to guess that you're probably hypothetically going to sit down and walk them either through the book of John, the book of Romans, or the book of Ephesians, and you're not going to pick up the book of Ezra or Esther or Leviticus or even maybe something like the book of Jeremiah with them. Now, it's not because you think that the latter four are not as inspired as the former three, but there are different sets of Scripture that have 
um, that get to the purpose better, that do have, in a sense, hypothetically, more value in the sense that John draws out the the full, complete understanding of salvation, whereas Leviticus is still in the shadows with the idea of sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Romans, man, that's that's a systematic theology in the Bible. You know, right. Romans is going right. to give you a systematic theology, whereas Esther is going to give you historical fact with a particular people group in a partic- particular time. Yeah. Um, he uses this illustration. It's all part of the same body, but the eye is not the heart. Mm-hmm. You know, the toe is not the brain. The toe is still a part of that same body and is infin- infinitely valuable. Who, who is this, Bavink? This is Bavink. Okay. This is Bavink. Um, I, I I just thought of this. So I, I can't look up the page number, but it's somewhere in this chapter. It's a big chapter. Um, and at, at first, when he's writing this, like, who who do you think that you are? You know, comparing certain books of the Bible with other books of the Bible. He would say, though, <laughs> let, let's be honest. He's he's not comparing the two. He's not trying to slight one over the other um but you're not committing a sin by recognizing the real the the book of mark which talks about the life of our lord in a humanly speaking sense is i'm gonna mess up when i say this word greater than numbers right we'll pass the ball to you yeah, now we're now we're transitioning a bit into the sufficiency of scripture. In well, a in a way, but yeah. it still has to do with the organic inspiration because um I wish I had the quote. We're dealing with organic inspiration because we're still dealing with human authors. And now on that point it gets outside of organic inspiration because has nothing to do with the the value of the human authors themselves or you know one is better than the other but it's still organic in the sense that you should read the bible naturally because it's not this mechanical um process this mechanical okay now here's the book of numbers now here's the book of romans you know click the same button to get the same result because the uh, organic aspect of it the bible is telling a story even when you watch a movie the yeah. climax of the story is greater than the introduction to the story. Right. And that's right. not taken away from the introduction. You you don't have the story anymore if you don't have the introduction. Right. right. You don't have a body anymore if you don't have an arm to it, you know, that kind of thing. Um, so there's organic things that we need to take into place when we're understanding the Bible. I see. Yeah, I, I get that connection now. Yeah, a couple of things. I like uh, Bovinks and Kuiper's... Um, uh, the way that the way that they put that forth that you mentioned that God doesn't do away with creation uh, or with the natural in order to do the supernatural. Um, uh, that's a good, clear way of of putting things, and that makes because we don't believe in a deistic God. That okay, creation's over here, uh, but then, uh, you know, it's kind of a the physical world's over here, but spiritual world's over here, and they don't interact. And God doesn't, uh, God doesn't work in and through creation. It's like He's just lobbing spiritual, you know, kind of lobbing spirit world grenades 
over to the natural world. Uh, that's not how God works or functions, but he works in and through his creation as he's Lord over creation, as you put that he created and salt was good. Um, I think a great illustration of this is not all miracles were done in this way, but when Christ healed the man of the the one man of blindness and used you got mm. got dirt, got some dirt from the ground and spit in it to make mud and then put it on his eyes. It's like, well, what's so special about the the mud? Uh what's so special about the dirt and the spit? Uh that, you know, why did he use that? He did a miracle. What why the you know, why the heck did he have to use <laughs> mud and why couldn't you just touch my eyeball yeah yeah and he and he did that on other occasions why use the why use the mud why use why make mud why use the dirt and spit in it um uh you know that's that's a good that that wasn't the necessarily point of the miracle but that's a good illustration of what we're talking about the lord the of god using uh, the Lord Christ using a very natural thing to his s- supernatural ends and purposes mm-hmm. of of healing a man, healing a man of blindness. So that's a good, just kind of uh, concrete or or uh, uh, yeah, s- straight example, simple example of the concept and what we're talking about, and um, God using a natural man. Uh, the Holy Spirit inspiring them toward supernatural purposes of the inspiration of Scripture. Yes. That's a good thought. I want to close with this. And there's a lot to be discussed, which, again, this is our last episode of... Go ahead. Yeah, won't let me jump in with one more thing that I was going to say but forgot. Inspir- I couldn't tell if you you had that thinking mind, but it I didn't. Was still I didn't think, it was still running. Yeah, I didn't think like you were going to say anything, or I wouldn't cut you off. But I was no, like, no, 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 "Is no. he going to say something?" Or is he- I was. I would. Yeah, you're about to drop a I bomb. Could, That's the I truth. Could remember it. No, just one other point to make. This is why um, we don't go through the Bible trying to figure out what was written by what, what's of God and what's of man here, mm. uh, because. Uh, God inspired it all. When you're talking about the, um, it's not that the Holy Spirit just put bumper guards up like on the like the bowling alley. Mm-hmm. Um, that He inspired it. That the Holy Spirit was active and inspired it in all. It's car- you know carrying the author about. Um, because it's not that okay, this author was inspired, um, but there's some things that got in that weren't actually from from the Holy Spirit. No, it's important to have the concept that um, no, everything that made it into the biblical writings is inspired. Uh, so we're not looking through and saying, okay, what what's of God and what's of man here? Um, but the whole thing, the whole thing, the whole book of whatever you're reading, the whole Bible, um, the the writing was inspired by the Holy Spirit. Yeah. So that's that's the extent of of inspiration. I I just thought that was an important 
another important clarification to make. So much so that we can say the Holy Spirit said. Right. As right. the author of Hebrews, that I mean, you want to see what the Hebrews thought of, or the 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 um, biblical authors thought of inspiration. They believed it so much they said the Holy Spirit said. Right. Do not harden your hearts. The Holy Spirit spoke the imprecatory psalms. The Holy Spirit spoke the history of First and Second Samuel. That's a good reminder for me right. because I'm reading through Second Samuel right now. Um, I want to read this quote real quick. There's a lot to be discussed that we're not going to spend the time on. This is our very last episode in Volume 1, Reform Dogmatics, Prolegomena by Herman Bobbink. A lot to be discussed. Pick the book up and read it. But Christian, I want you to go away understanding this quote. I, I want to point out to you why people are hostile towards the Bible. Because Herman Bobbink says this, Christ bore a cross, and the servant, that is Scripture, is not greater than its master. Scripture is the handmaiden of Christ. It shares in his defamation and arouses the hostility of sinful humanity. Why are people hostile towards the Scriptures? has nothing to do with organic inspiration. has nothing to do with uh, having some hiccups here and there of understanding the supernatural. has everything to do with because they were hostile towards Christ. Mm. Yeah. And the scripture doesn't get a way out that Christ, our Lord, did not get a way out. Right. But to a, go ahead. No, you go ahead. Yeah, that's a perfect way to conclude because we've we've talked about inspiration and uh, how the Lord has worked, how the Lord has worked in revelation in in special revelation in this way, and we've talked about the big story of Scripture. Uh, what what is all all of these inspired writings? Uh, uh, being put together for mm. and that's a perfect way to end it because it, to, in the episode because um, as Jesus himself has said all the writings and prophets they all speak of me mm. uh, uh, Jesus Christ himself is the is the climax of biblical revelation um, that's the uh, he himself is the, I mean, he's what it, he's what the Bible is all about. Um, all from Genesis to revelation, everything is working toward, uh, revealing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yes. And, um, yeah, that's a, that's a perfect, that's a perfect way to end. Um, the scriptures are all about him. And as Bavink says, at the end of the day, that's why uh, that's why people don't want to believe yes. uh, that that the uh, Bible has indeed it are, is indeed the words of God that it is indeed the inspired words of God uh, because then they would have to reckon with uh, they would have to reckon with their need of the gospel and ultimately. Um, find themselves in submission to Jesus Christ and the natural man does not want that before Christ I did not want that mm-hmm. before salvation before the new birth I did not want that no man does but praise God we we serve a God who has revealed revealed that God the Son took on flesh dwelt among us and has been our sufficient sacrifice yes 
if our Lord, who is the essential word of God, was persecuted, if the apostles and prophets who wrote the word, uh, humanly speaking, were persecuted, who do we think we are as believers of the word if we don't think that we will be persecuted for this belief? Good closing out, brother. I know you got to leave. Just got to slide this in real quick. Ole Miss Rebels are the national champions in baseball. National, not regional, not conference, not state, national champions. Congratulations. Go Rebels. CD and D2 coming at you recorded and direct from the Classic Cast where we just finished Bob Inc. and we just roll with it.